0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today
2: with Byte. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network.
3: I got to tell you, I mentioned before from our bedroom deck here from our bedroom, actually. <laughs> We can see the United States Capitol Dome, and we can see when the light is on, meaning they're in session. And usually, when you wake up early in the morning, as we do, you know, four or five o'clock, and you look out and you see the light on in the Capitol, you think, oh no, hold on to your wallet. They are up to no good. But this morning, when I saw that light on, I said to myself, hey, That means the Senate is in session and they're slamming Jeff Sessions. And that's exactly what was going on uh, all through the night. The night before, it was Betsy DeVos. Last night, it was Jeff Sessions. And the highlight of it, or the climax of it was, believe it or not, right, when they shut down Elizabeth Warren. Here's all Elizabeth Warren was doing. She was reading from a letter written by the great Coretta Scott King about Jeff Sessions, Elizabeth Warren.
1: Mr. Sessions has used the awesome power of his office to chill the free exercise of the vote by black citizens in the district he now seeks to serve as a federal judge.
3: She was quoting Coretta Scott King. Uh, there's a little bit more of that, uh, of that letter, Peter. It was it's a long letter. I'll get right to the yeah. very
2: end of it because this really sums up where she stands. Quote from the letter... I do not believe Jefferson Sessions possesses the requisite judgment, competence, and sensitivity to the rights guaranteed by the federal civil rights laws to qualify for appointment to the federal court district. Based on his record, I believe his confirmation would have a devastating effect on not only the judicial system in Alabama, but also on the progress we have made everywhere towards fulfilling my husband's dream that he envisioned over 20 years ago. Remember, this was in 1986 that she wrote this. Yeah. I, I therefore urge the Senate Judiciary Committee to deny his confirmation. So this
3: this was written again in 1986. And remember, this was a Republican-controlled Senate, and the Republican-controlled Senate rejected Jeff Sessions for the federal bench because of his racist views and his racist actions as Attorney General of Alabama. And Mitch McConnell dares go up and accuse Elizabeth Warren of violating the rules by impugning the integrity of Jeff Sessions by quoting Coretta Scott King. Uh, So he he put in a motion to silence her, to force her to step down. And
2: here's the announcement of the vote on this vote. The yeas are forty nine. The nays are forty three. The decision of the chair stands. As the judgment of the Senate.
3: That is Senator Stephen Daines from Montana, it says. And Mitch McConnell defends his action afterwards. Senator Warren was giving a lengthy speech. She had appeared uh, to violate the rule. She was warned. Oof. Oh. She oh. was given an explanation. Oof. Oh, I know. Nevertheless, she persisted. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, Yeah. Yeah, this is. Putin's she was warned. Warned. By the way,
0: this could be. This her, is Putin's Russia. Yeah. This could be her campaign slogan, just this little bit. Nevertheless, she persisted. Yeah, Never right thanks, Mitch. Thank you. Nevertheless, yeah, right. she
3: persisted. Yeah. You're damn right. She persisted. And she persisted. By the way, <laughs> so she is imputing the integrity of Jeff Sessions. Ted Cruz gave a speech last year on the floor of the Senate where he called Mitch McConnell a liar, called the
2: Republican leader at the time, a liar. Ted Cruz also read Green Eggs and Ham on the floor of the Senate while he was yeah. filibustering. Right. So like the stained integrity of the Senate can kiss my ass in, in that regard.
3: But you know, as we said, they, they they can they can try, but they'll never shut Elizabeth Warren down. No more than they'll shut Bernie Sanders down. She went outside on uh, of the Senate floor and stood there and read the entire letter aloud uh, on Facebook Live. She's yeah. got over three million, three and, views, and a half million views, at this three point. and a half million views so far. And then she went on CNN last night with Don Lemon and said, hell no, I'm not going to shut up.
1: They can shut me up, but they can't change the truth. What Coretta Scott King talked about Jeff Sessions doing back in 1986 is something every American should know about. And it's you something have the letter every in front of you, senator, senator should think about before they vote to confirm him as attorney general of the United States.
3: Yeah. Good for her leading the fight and good for Democrats all the way around, I think, on the battle. I mean, some of them, we've talked about that. Some of them have chickened out and voted for some of Donald Trump's nominees. Uh, but a big fight on Betsy DeVos and a, and a really uh, huge fight on Jeff Sessions. And I think the point is, uh, and but, but before we go into Betsy DeVos, just the, the idea that here's a, okay, he's a sitting United States senator. So what? Right? It's fair to criticize Jeff Session's record. It's fair to criticize uh his past statements. It's fair to criticize that he has a to point out that he has a history of anti voting rights, anti women's rights, anti-gay rights. It's 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 out there for everybody to see. And the idea that he would be above criticism is just disgusting. No, he is not, and to shut down United States Senator. Let me tell you something. This is going to live forever. Mitch McConnell's going yeah. to regret that he did this. Yeah. Absolutely regret that he did this. Um, so we'll see what happens with Jeff Sessions. We did see what happened with Betsy DeVos yesterday. But that was a valiant fight. The idea, I gotta tell you, yeah, I'm really disappointed. I think it's a disaster. It'll be it's gonna be a bad day. And Randy Weingarten from the American Federation of Teachers put out a great statement yesterday saying this is a bad day for American children. It is. It's a bad day for kids. It's a bad day for parents. It's a bad day for America's schools. The idea that she is now our Secretary of Education. But it was important to make that fight because now everybody knows two things. Number one, they're reminded about how valuable uh, our public school system is. And second, they're reminded about how Betsy DeVos is the least qualified, the last person on the planet who should have that job, and it wouldn't have happened without this tremendous um, wave of opposition that came from all over the country. And the idea that we were able to generate so much opposition, so many phone calls, so many letters, that we got two Republican senators to break with Donald Trump and force the vice president of the United States to come to the Senate and break a tie— For a cabinet nominee, it has never before happened in history. So that's not a badge of honor for Elizabeth DeVos. It's something that she'd be... Betsy DeVos, yeah. No, it's hardly
2: hardly a big win for the Trump administration.
3: Right. And here was um, Pence yesterday breaking, breaking the tie. On this vote, the yeas are 50. The nays are 50. The Senate being equally divided... The vice president votes in the affirmative, and the nomination is confirmed. Done. And then he goes, and they they rush to swear her in before anything else could happen yesterday afternoon. But listen, pretty chilling to Mike Pence when he says why, for him, this was a happy occasion.
4: No longer will our kids be trapped in in too many uh, public school systems that uh, that are too concerned with the status quo instead of student success.
3: No, yes. No longer will our students be trapped in public schools. If Betsy DeVos has her way, our kids won't be, quote, unquote, trapped in public schools. They'll all be in private schools, religious schools, and that's where all the money will go, and the money will no longer go to public education because that's been her whole agenda her entire life. That's her goal as Secretary of Education, that is Donald Trump's goal to dismantle the public education system, just like they want to dismantle anything else worthwhile.
2: This is this is a very clear indicator of what kind of president Donald Trump will be when it comes to issues here. This is going to screw over so many special needs students or students with with any kind of disability, even minor learning disabilities. Well, she doesn't even know that, that those programs are. It's not even exist. a thing for her. Right, right. It's not even on her radar. Inner city kids, right? Like kids who have major school problems. Not, right? not like, a concern They're of not going to get any help. Not a concern of hers. It's no. going to get so much worse for them. And it's... The good thing is, at least, the Department of Education hates Betsy DeVos. Yeah. yeah. And any so. teacher who is worth his or her salt cannot stand... What she has planned to do. So there will be pushback. And she's also so incompetent that I'm not so sure that she's going to be able to get anything done. At least the other people who were um, testifying for their cabinet position, at least they like crammed for the test and passed. Yeah. She didn't even try. She showed up and embarrassed herself. Yeah, So she she's was, not even competent enough to
3: get anything done. She was so ignorant on the issues that uh, senators ask her about, particularly Al Franken and Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire, she had no idea. And Chris Murphy from Connecticut, of course. And I guess the only silver lining uh, to Betsy DeVos' confirmation is that at least our schools, our school children will be safe from grizzly attacks. Thank yeah. God. Finally. Well, potential grizzly. Finally. Potential grizzly. Finally. Yeah, indeed. so much going on, and this is Black History Month, so um, we wanted to welcome to the program a good friend, Dr. Julian Malveaux, who's actually written a book about Black History Month, Surviving and Thriving, 365 Facts in Black Economic History. Hi, Julianne. Nice to see hey, you. Hey,
1: Bill. Good to see you always.
3: Well, so uh, how's Donald Trump doing? Kicking off Black History Month oh, with this big listening session that he had down at the White House. I
1: with Frederick Douglass sitting right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, You hear about this guy? Have you yeah. heard about Frederick yeah. Douglass? Doing more and more, more and more every day, every day. every really every single so day. Of course, you know guy. he passed, but he's still doing more and more. He <sighs> forgets. You, you know my air check. Power concedes nothing without a demand, said Frederick Douglass. It never did and it, it never will. Those who want freedom without agitation are like those who want the ocean without its mighty roar. I mean, seriously, does this guy want to be calling up Frederick Douglass so that he could have the, 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 the shouts of enslaved people, you know, sitting at his ear? This man is cray-cray.
2: Somebody who's done an amazing job and is being recognized more and more, I notice. So you've heard of this guy, Frederick yeah. Douglass. Yeah. Have you heard of this guy? I've heard
1: about Frederick yeah. Douglass. Yeah. this guy. Okay. we try trying to beat him. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd love to have Fred, my house for coffee. Fred. You know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I think through a lot of the actions and, and, and yeah. statements that he's going to make, I think the contributions of Frederick Douglass will become more and more. There's a Sean Spicer, right.
1: Okay, but at least he didn't say bigly in that (laughs) sentence, which I'm still trying to figure out where that should look (laughs) in the dictionary. I mean, there's cray-cray and then there's bigly. Um,
3: (laughs) Isn't there sort of a contradiction between, um, for Donald Trump, recognizing, celebrating Black History Month and nominating Jeff Sessions as Attorney General?
1: An absolute contradiction, even more contradiction, when Elizabeth Warren attempts to raise our history by Reading the letter that Coretta Scott King wrote in 1986 opposing the Sessions uh, nomination, then for a, a lower judge uh, situation, yeah. and she being silenced because theoretically she was in civil or whatever this rule 19 rule 19 is, but rule 19 had not prevented Orrin Hatch from calling people what ignorant or idiots has not prevented uh, what's that man's name Cruz from going out of people's name. So only Tate when Ted Cruz
3: who said by the way, Mitch said accused Mitch McConnell of lying over and over and over again. Called him a liar on the Senate
1: floor. So all this is okay, but reading the letter from the widow of our most revered civil rights leader uh gets uh Elizabeth Warren so uh, censured that she's not supposed to ever be able to talk again in this conversation. This is absurd, but that Thing that Mr. Trump did on February 1st was so insulting, so absurd, that even our friend Armstrong Williams, who I don't talk to very often, but you'd have to talk to him, when that pastor from Cleveland said the gangs had called him up. Okay, so the gangs in Chicago had called up this unknown pastor from Cleveland and said they were going to lower the body count, and yeah. he recounts this. You could see on the tape, Armstrong holding his hand over his mouth. I'm like, dude, will you try to keep from laughing? Because that's clearly what was going on. Because who is and and his wife had said to Trump, "I love you one more time." I was gonna say, y'all just mm. get a room. He likes to grab, <laughs> you know. You can give it up. And um, that's not to be off color, but um, okay, that was a you little. You can wrong. be off color on this show.
2: It's alright. Yeah. But
1: but I'm I, I Bill. I don't know how you go to bed and get up in the morning but I just have to remind myself every day that I paid for my televisions (laughs) because if I didn't remind myself that I paid for my televisions I'd be throwing stuff at my televisions you just can't fathom this but that black history listening session um, was frightening especially that whole gang thing and then all the smoke that was blown all over the place and then the Frederick Douglass here's what You know, there was a time when Democrats and Republicans had civil conversations. There was a time when the African-American community was frankly more Republican than Democratic. Yeah, Um, sure. John F. Kennedy turned the tide when he reached out to Coretta King when uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was incarcerated and didn't say he was a candidate, of course, for president then. And he didn't say, I got you You know, he said, I understand how you feel. Mm -hmm. He reached across. Whatever, And and the JFK wasn't perfect, we know that, but he reached across and said to her, as a woman whose husband is incarcerated while you're pregnant, I understand how you feel. Now nobody understands how nobody feels, but more importantly than that, we have a president whose attention span is 30 seconds. He could not read this book. He could not read mm. anybody's book. Mm-hmm. and so
3: He brags about not reading right, and, right. And, and because so, he knows everything, so he doesn't
1: have to you're read right, that. More than the generals, more than anybody. So as a capitalist, what he doesn't understand is that people like Madam C.J. Walker were probably more likely to align with him than, frankly, with me. She was a capitalist. She was the first woman. Who was a millionaire in the United States, not the first black woman, the first woman, who wrote $5,000 checks to the NAACP, just like, you know, you and I write $50 checks to the Democratic Party. I mean, she had it like that. And we're not mad at her. But the point is that if he could understand history, perhaps he could have done a better showing instead of having his minions sitting around the table, you know, Bubba the Fool and Homie the Clown who had nothing (laughs) to say Um, Omie Rossi Um, I mean it was just so insulting but the good part of that day February 1st is that the U.S. Postal Service dedicated that stamp to Dr. Dorothy Irene Height. and so that's black history
3: yeah and that's big news for. That's a, real
2: Black
1: history. Yeah, yeah, it is.
3: That's real Black
2: history.
1: Fifteenth uh, woman, I think, in the Black History series.
3: But you know, yeah, and she's a, of course, a, 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 you know, a, a leading lady of Washington D.C. Right? Tell,
1: met with every president from FDR. Yeah, tell us, tell,
3: tell our, tell, tell, tell us about her. Well, met
1: with every president from FDR to uh, Barack Obama, uh, always bringing the civil rights cause, always with amazing dignity. Uh, I never I, I i did see Dr. Hyde get angry, but her mm-hmm. anger was not like my anger like I'll call you a whole bunch of mofos and it'll be over with. Uh, <laughs> but Dr. Hyde would just simply um you know with all her dignity sit there and um really continue to push the cause six thirty three Pennsylvania Avenue is the home of the National Council of Negro women which was founded um, in the 1930s by Mary McLeod Bethune, who was mm-hmm. the first president of Bethune-Cookman College. Um, Dr. Height was the third president of NCNW. There was a woman in the middle that often gets ignored. But then there was Dr. Haidt. She served as president of my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, for eight years, longest-serving president, of course. They changed the rules after her. She was kind of like FDR. <laughs> and after yeah. that they said, no boy can have more than two terms. But she... Um, always pushed not only the cause of black women, but also how we could work together. She had this thing called Wednesdays in Mississippi back in the 60s where black women and white women got together, and they had these Wednesdays in Mississippi where they went out and served poor women, where they talked to each other about civil rights and about how we could work together. You know, but it, it, yeah. it it sometimes I become ashamed of yeah. myself because I don't have that much goodwill. I really just don't. I'm so tired of it. I am right. so tired of it. But I am amazed at, and yet, you know, I'm amazed at these women who endured far more than I ever will, who also always had this equanimity. You know Alexis Herman. I mean, oh, Alexis yeah. is a Dr. Heights, you know, ideological daughter. And, of course, Alexis has that as well, that equanimity. So you really can't insult Alexis. I mean, you can, but you can't because she's not going to react. And that's the dignity that Mary McLeod Bethune left when she wrote her letter to my people, when she talked about, I leave you faith, I leave you love, I leave you dignity. And um, we live in such a graceless age. A
3: great statue of Mary McLeod Bethune in Lincoln Park. Um, yes. Abraham Lincoln at one end of Lincoln Park and yeah. Mary McLeod Bethune at the other end. Uh, a great statue and, and, and that's, there, right a, that's here, a history. Right here on Capitol Hill. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. what's happening on Capitol Hill? what's happening down at the White House as well um, we um, have uh, the help of Alan Pike from Think Progress here for this uh, half hour. So, so this meeting that, uh, that the president had with his group of sheriffs yesterday. yeah uh, first of all, he did talk about uh, the murder rate, uh, if we uh, here, here's talking to the sheriffs.
2: The murder rate in our country is the highest it's been in 47 years, right? Did you know that? 47 years. I used to use that. I'd say that in a speech and everybody was surprised because the press doesn't tell it like it is. It wasn't to their advantage to say that. Isn't that funny how everybody was surprised? Did you know that?
0: It's funny aren't how surprising surpri- lies are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's yeah. really, people get really boggled when you tell them things that aren't true. It's it's very confusing for everybody.
3: Right. Where, in fact, CNN reported yesterday, according to the FBI, they're the ones that keep the statistics... Right. The population has gone up 100 million in the last 47 years, and the murder rate is one half of what it was 47 right. years ago. Right,
0: right, and a lot of times politicians use uh, <laughs> specious <laughs> claims about the murder rate as a sort of stalking horse for violent crime more broadly. But yeah. even if you look yeah. at violent crime statistics, uh, we're in much better shape nationally and in almost all major cities than we were even 15, 20 years ago. It's been uh, it, there was a, a period in the in the 80s and 90s where violent crime right. really had spiked up to. Uh, a st- historically high, alarmingly high level, and that helped drive a lot of bad policy in the 90s in this town. Um, but yeah, we're, we've 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 walked back from that. We've arrived at a place where public safety interests are, are being much better served, and the statistics bear that out. But if you're willing to lie about the statistics, you can shape the world any way you want to. In yeah,
3: fact, on violent crime, I was just looking here, the FBI reports uh, back in 1991, as you say, there's mm-hmm. a lot of bad policy, like the three strikes and you're out right. bill, and, right. and, and, and some of these prison Excessive prison right. terms, all a result of that. At that time, the rate of violent crime was 758 per 100,000 residents. Mm-hmm. Today, it is 373.
0: Yeah, we've got
3: per it per 100,000. So that's still too many, but it's cut in half.
0: Right. Right. And that's the thing. That's the thing about crime statistics. And it's it's people's sense of the crime around them is always heightened, is always Mm. sort of hypersensitive. uh, And and there's no such thing as a good enough crime rate for anybody. Yeah. Um, So you can always you can always play that game. It's just so jarring today, I think, because for the past eight or 10 years, uh, not coincidentally overlapping with Barack Obama's presidency, there had emerged a political consensus that the old retail politics of frightening people with crime statistics and um, promising to keep them safe in ways that are sort of childish and disingenuous, uh, that that wasn't a, a good way to do business anymore in American politics. And, and even some of the staunchest conservatives in both Republican and Democratic parties uh, who had played that game for a long time had had basically given it up, had sort of set those, set those political weapons aside and started to talk in more rational, honest terms about crime. The,
2: th- the thing about the, the throwing these numbers out like that, right, is he just does it and nobody rebuts him. <laughs> Because he's just there just sort of tossing it out. And I give Jake Tapper credit. Yesterday we had Kellyanne Conway on. He, he really pushed back at her about it. But, again, it's like throwing a snowball into hell. I mean, it's right. already out there. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, yeah. it's out there. And so his base has already picked it up. And they don't care if Jake – I mean, as, as far as they're concerned, Jake Tapper is lying. Not their right. Not their president. Right. Right. Yeah, he's got this direct line
0: to his people. Yeah! Everybody's sort of filter-bubbled out of uh, being able to agree on any sort of mutual facts. makes debate very hard. Yeah, well,
3: is it surprising to you that nobody in that room of sheriffs would say, well, (coughs) Mr. President is not really correct? I
0: I wish it was surprising. I I tend to think that uh, people who serve in sort of executive offices in law enforcement agencies, whether it's local sheriffs or local police departments or federal investigative positions, uh, if, if your interest as a law enforcement professional is in leadership, uh, then you you have to sort of uh, press the flesh a little bit. You have to be a little bit of a politician. There's no real upside to you as the sheriff of, say, Hennepin County uh, to, to look the president in the face and say, uh, sir, that's not true. Especially yeah, when there are yeah. cameras in the room, uh, right. there's no, there's no, there's no benefit to you and to your officers and to your community from defying the president uh, or uh, or embarrassing the president, even when the president is so ruthlessly uh, vigorous about about embarrassing himself. Well, let me ask
3: you this then: Is there anyone around Donald Trump, uh, a Reince Priebus or a Kellyanne Conway or somebody who's going to pull him aside and say, you know, Mr. President? Um, that number
0: may sound like really impressive, but it's not true and you shouldn't use it anymore. No, there absolutely isn't. And, and I think part of the reason why is there are a lot of people in the mainline Republican Party and especially in Trump's own political movement, a lot of voters um, who are deeply convinced that there has been for decades a campaign by major media to cover up black violence against white people. There's a a really revanchist, vengeful impulse within Trump's movement toward the black community that is entirely premised on the idea that there are thousands and thousands of violent crimes being perpetrated by black people against white people every day, and the media aren't covering them because it somehow doesn't serve the interests of the media's masters. I I mentioned earlier, uh,
2: during the campaign, Trump tweeted out that horribly wrong statistic, about 92% of all crime in America, violent crime, is black people committed on white people. And it's just, like it's purely meant to just scare the hell out of white people, right? Right,
0: and and it that taps into uh, Trump. Trump is, was more successful at tapping into that sort of panicked sense of victimhood in yeah. that's that's at large in white America uh, than than his predecessors in the Republican Party. But that's not for lack of trying from people like Ryan's Priebus. Right, Priebus yeah. oversaw a party that was um, playing that same tune just a little quieter. Uh, a little with a little more um, vibrato to it uh, than, than Trump is capable, ever interested in. And right. it's that same, Trump's willingness to just flagrantly misrepresent uh, the reality of the world in ways that play to people's sense of what the world is like um, is what allowed him to break through in the primary.
3: By the way, I was just thinking um, he's no longer in office, but was Joe Arpaio there yesterday.
0: I don't think he was. A couple of a couple of websites that wrote up the meeting uh, used a picture of Trump and uh, Arpaio next to each other, but that's but I believe that was an old picture. I, I'm pretty sure he was not there. There were I think uh, uh, eight or ten total sheriffs from from a sort of cross section <coughs> of the country, but mostly uh, rural counties uh, on the on the verge of major cities.
3: All right. Now the the president also got into uh, something else, which you have written about. Uh, uh, if we can, Jamie. And there's a, so there's a sheriff who mentions he's having a problem with a state senator back home. Yeah. Right. And, you know, <laughs> in pure Donald Trump fashion, he picks up on this and, and says, you know, let's go destroy that SOP. Yeah. Here he is.
2: State senator in Texas it was, was talking about introducing legislation to require conviction. Before we could receive that forfeiture money. And I told him that the cartel would build a monument to him in Mexico if he could get that legislation. Who's the state senator? Do you want to give his name? We'll destroy his career. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Jesus. So here's the president Super of the United funny States. Joke. Yeah, right.
3: A real funny joke. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right.
3: Who is launching a campaign now to destroy the reputation of a state senator from Texas.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which the president
3: is, of the United States. Right, I was say, wh-
0: One would think might have bigger fish to fry. I would hope. And also anyone who's got a passing familiarity with the Constitution should be awfully freaked out that a local law enforcement official and yes. the chief executive of the country are sitting around joking or not about... Uh, going after a local legislator, yeah, and this right. is not, you know, th- and uh, there are so many layers of, <laughs> of frightening to this. One of them being uh, the head of the the national uh, executive branch. Uh, expressing interest in mixing it up with a state lawmaker in Texas uh, doesn't seem like Well a judge an in Seattle yeah. a state senator right. in Texas right phrase about
2: punching down
0: right yeah. well right. And, and and there's nothing he loves more than punching down oh, yeah, he, right. He, he, right. he loves he loves picking enemies who are uh, uh, ill equipped uh, by virtue of their position to That's to take point. him on yeah. and 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 all of this and this is this was the the core of what I wrote about uh, on this exchange yesterday uh, all of this distracts from the substance of what the sheriff was talking about, which is this, this idea of civil asset forfeiture, uh, which has been around for, for decades now. It's a system by which police and sheriffs and federal law enforcement agents can confiscate people's property uh, effectively at will. All they have to do is demonstrate probable cause for uh, believing that your the property they're taking from you was in some way generated through criminal activity. They never have to prove that. Uh, charge. They never even have to arrest you. They never have to bring you before a judge. They can just take your Caesar, car, your, your cash, really your home. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, and and, and there have been a lot of very well-documented abuses of this policy all around the country, which is what you'd expect when you tell cops effectively, hey, go go out and fund yourselves. Uh, use, use your badge and your gun to uh, take take until you have enough to fill out your budget, because that way we don't have to tax and spend uh, on on public safety to the levels that you might like and this this is better for all of us we've been doing this for a long time all around the country it's another thing that was starting to see a major reform push uh in that in that eight or ten year window of uh optimism or, or openness uh in both parties to reforming our criminal justice policies and walking back the the tough on crime mistakes mm. of the 1990s, and uh, to hear to hear Donald is on one level it's uh, uh, not surprising uh, uh, that Donald uh. Trump would love this idea. On another, uh, it's <laughs> it's deeply disturbing that um, that you can propose in the through the, the due process of the legislature of the state of Texas to change the laws of the state of Texas to protect the civil rights of your people uh, and to put a a reasonable check on. Your law enforcement and say, hey, you have to actually charge somebody. You have to actually get somebody convicted of a crime before you can take their stuff and have the president say, well, let's let's ruin people for that. Yeah, I mean that that concept doesn't seem that radical to me, right? Right. That
3: you find out. Before you seize their home, you find if they're actually guilty of the crime that you think they might have been guilty right. of. Right, that's one of those things yeah. that I think file we charges all... and and prove it. Yeah, and it's... then fine, take their property. I don't care. Right, right?
0: And that's that's how it's supposed to work. If we're the country that we sort of teach our kids we are in in civics classes in high school. Ah, that's, that's yeah. That's what how we naive, naive right? of you. But yeah, but, right. It, and it's one of those things that puts the lie to a lot of uh, American ideas about fairness and about uh, a level playing field and uh, due process before law. And, and to have those ideas be not just rejected, but uh, sort of openly mocked in this way in the White House is, is chilling.
3: Jennifer Bendery with us here from Huffington Post, HuffingtonPost.com. So then, I think it's Politico this morning, or maybe Huffington Post, that reports that tomorrow uh, President Trump is going to meet with... So-called moderate Democrats, Joe Manchin, John Tester, Heidi Heitkamp, Joe Donnelly from Indiana has also been uh, invited. What's going on here?
4: I don't know. I think he's trying to see who he can...
3: Peel off, huh?
4: That's one way to put it, who he can peel off from the other Democrats who might be willing to vote with Republicans on issues he wants to pass. Um, It's probably one of the (laughs) smarter moves that he's made strategically. As president, because that is the the names you just mentioned are the Democrats in the Senate who are in a bit of a tight spot because right. many of them are up for re-election in 2018, yep. and many of them are senators in states that Trump won. They don't want to go too far off the reservation <laughs> for, you know, with uh, with the rest of the Democratic Party. Sometimes, so if he's going to single them out, I think. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there, there. Those those names are people who are particularly sensitive right now about how they vote on things, uh,
3: and show them a little love and try to get their votes. Yeah, um, which leads us to Neil Gorsuch because w- the one big vote that he wants from them will be for his Supreme Court nominee. Um, which raises also the question of what Democrats will filibuster. So, what do you what are you hearing from Democrats? What's the, you know. Um, I think Democrats are split on whether they ought to oppose this one or maybe wait for the second one. That's what I hear.
4: So, yeah, that's the sense I have, too. I mean, there, there's a faction of Senate Democrats who are, have already said they're going to oppose Gorsuch. They've already, they said that before. Some of them even said that before he was announced.
3: So they're just in principle. Whoever he nominates. Right. right.
4: They're in principle going to oppose Trump's choice. So Not that
3: Republicans would ever do that. Right.
4: Not that they did that all last year. Um, so there are, there's a small group of them that have already said I'm voting no. And that's that. Um, there's a bigger group of them that are saying, let's let's meet with this guy. Let's give him his hearing. Um, let's ask him questions about issues we care about. And let's let's be rational about this. And and that appears to be the message that that Chuck Schumer, the you know, who's leading the Democrats in the Senate, is handing down to them. He's saying, you know, don't rush to judgment. Let's be fair and reasonable. But he also said yesterday, I have concerns about this guy. In fact, I think he said uh, he had some quote that was circulating in the news today, something along the lines of like dodging every question like a bullet or something. I mean, he met with him yesterday and I guess their Q&A didn't go that well for Schumer. He didn't get what he wanted mm-hmm. to hear from him. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, the Democrats in the Senate are pretty split right now. And it's it's a reflection of the party. I mean, the progressive base is like block everything. You know, don't let Trump do a single thing. Um but then there's some others in the, in the base who are like, don't do that. That's like crying wolf. We need to focus on the things that truly matter and and we need to pick and choose carefully. So that's that same divide in the party is playing out right now in the Senate.
3: To, to which I would say one of the things that really, really matters are people in the Supreme Court. That's true. Yeah,
4: That's true, but they don't want to, like you were saying earlier with Republicans, the Democrats don't want to overplay their hand and just block him just because. Yeah. And then let's say there's another opening on the Supreme Court which is very possible in the next four years, and Trump picks somebody who is very conservative to replace a liberal uh, sitting justice. And are they gonna, I mean, if you just keep crying wolf the whole time, it's not gonna convey the urgency, perhaps, that you should have over one nominee over another.
2: I think that's a valid concern, but at the same time, I think this is very similar to to the Tea Party and the Republicans. And the Tea Party was all about shutting everything down, stopping Obama at every turn. That was Mitch McConnell's promise, was to make sure he didn't get elected to a second term. And you have to ask yourself, how well did that turn out for the Republicans? Pretty well. Pretty well. They tried to block everything. They tried to stall everything. And now here they are with the House, the Senate, and the President. That's true. So I I don't know what the downside would be to trying to stop everything at this point. Because... As much as Donald Trump likes to say this was a historic win, he has a mandate and all that, the people clearly don't think that. I think the, the vast majority of Americans don't believe
3: that. See, I'm not that harsh. My rule is that just that uh, Neil Gorsuch deserves every bit of consideration that Merrick Garland got. Uh, th- good point. Th-
2: that's well, nice. That's just and the, it also Garland comes, rule.
4: It also comes down to respecting the process, never mind what party you are. Yes. And there's a lot of people in there who are like, you know what? This is an institution of government. It's set up to have you know a very fair process for a nominee. It doesn't matter which party you're in. If you don't like him, you can oppose him. If you like him, you can support him. Right. But if you just want to throw the whole process out the window, which is what the Tea Party tried to do, then you're kind of undermining government itself. Okay. And sure. that's, a, that's a thing that Democrats do not want to do. Right.
2: The Parting shot. With Bill Press, this is The Bill Press Show. I know
3: it sounds like a contradiction, but you know, sometimes in defeat, there is victory. And that was the case with the confirmation of Betsy DeVos as the new Secretary of Education. Look, let's not kid ourselves. It's a disaster for the American people, for American public schools, for kids and parents nationwide that she have the job as Secretary of Education. But nonetheless... The fact that her nomination generated so much opposition, the fact that she almost became only the second nominee in history of a president-elect to be rejected by the Senate, and the fact that she only got there because for the first time in history, a vice president had to go up to the Senate and cast a deciding vote in her favor, that just shows how unqualified and unpopular she is for the job which, by the way, is true for most of Donald Trump's cabinet choices who were named to lead the very agencies that they've been enemies of for most of their careers. Just take a look at Justice, Jeff Sessions, the enemy of civil rights. At EPA, Scott Pruitt, the enemy of the environment, clean air and clean water. At Labor, Andy Puzner, the enemy of working-class families, And at education now, Betsy DeVos, the enemy of public schools. With the Trump administration, we have the least qualified people ever to lead our government. And that starts at the very top with Donald Trump, clearly the least qualified and the least experienced candidate ever to run for president in our history. So, yes, Betsy DeVos is bad, but Donald Trump, he's a hell of a lot worse. This is the Bill Press Show.